Again, we're in the season of Lent. This is the second Sunday of Lent, which means uh, Easter is coming in, in just a handful of weeks. This morning, though, as we're beginning that journey and beginning to reflect on uh, our Lenten season together, I want us to be thinking about what we are carrying with us into that season. One summer, I was asked to help lead a youth backpacking trip into the mountains of British Columbia. It was spectacular. And uh, the day, there, there were several portions. There was a whitewater canoeing portion. There was a, a rafting portion. There was a rock climbing portion. And then we did like five days in the backcountry. So the day that we went hiking, um, we, we hiked for about, it was about nine or ten miles into the mountains, up these switchbacks. And we finally got to a backcountry campsite, a primitive site in the mountains with, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 um, high school kids. And we started pulling our gear out of our backpacks. We got the tents out. There were a group of people pulling the camp stoves out to begin cooking the meal for that evening. And as we were going about the work of unpacking, I noticed one of the guys in my group looking down into his backpack, and he had this kind of confused, uh, defeated look on his face. And I, I said, Ben, what's going on? And as he looked down into the backpack, he pulled up this gooey mess of chocolate bars. Apparently on the drive up to the trailhead early that morning, we stopped the 15-passenger van to put gas in the tank because we were almost out. And, and a couple guys hopped out of the, the van and they ran into the convenience store and we didn't know what they were doing. Well, of course, they, they bought a stash of candy bars, chocolate bars, that they were going to bring on the trip with them. Well, those candy bars were now this you know, ball of melted wrappers in the bottom of his pack. And he, he held it up and he said, Dave, where's the, the trash can? Where do I throw this away? And I said, Ben, we're 10 miles from a trash can. You packed it in. You've got to pack it out. Nothing will help you evaluate or maybe reevaluate how essential something really is than getting to carry it around with you for five days. He was really happy when we finally got to a trash can, you know, at the end of that trip. Sometimes we carry things around with us that we thought were helpful, we thought maybe were necessary, but, but prove ultimately to be a liability to us. When you get ready for a journey, what is at the top of your packing list? What is essential to you? Maybe you pack a beloved pair of hiking boots, maybe it's a swimsuit, maybe it's a pair of snow skis, maybe it's your laptop. Maybe you're in the season right now where it's a diaper bag and a pack and play. The things, though, that that we cart around and carry around with us actually communicate quite a bit about what's important to us, what we think is valuable, what we think is essential for this particular time and place. From today until Easter Sunday... I want to remind you that we, too, are making a journey together, individually, collectively, as a church. As disciples, we are following Jesus toward Jerusalem, 
following him toward the cross and to the empty tomb and even what lies beyond that. And we need, I think, sometimes to be reminded that what we take with us, what we're carrying about with us on this journey matters and it has consequences. As we open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 today, I'd like to consider with you what, what might you today be carrying with you through life? What are, what are the things, the burdens, the, the sort of attachments that we have? And how many of those are essential? How many of those are actually helpful in keeping company with Jesus on that journey? Please open to Luke 4 and let me pray for us as we look at God's word together. Lord, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You invite us to come follow you, leaving all else behind. And yet there are many days and weeks and years where it sure doesn't feel light. Our shoulders may feel heavy. Our legs may be tired. Pray that as we consider your testing... Lord, as we consider your trusting in the desert, in the Father's love and goodness to you, that it might lighten and encourage us this Lenten season. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach now, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name, our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read in just a moment from Luke 4. But one thing that is helpful by way of of context here, immediately preceding this uh, narrative section in Luke 4, is Jesus' baptism in Luke 3. And as Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, two important things happen immediately following that baptism. Luke tells us that the Spirit of God descends, it comes to rest upon it, it anoints Jesus like a dove in that moment of baptism. And along with that anointing comes a voice from heaven, right? the the voice of the Father. And it says over Jesus, You are my Son, whom I love. So in, in the baptism of Jesus, Luke 3, we see the Spirit's anointing, and we see the Sonship of Jesus proclaimed. Both of those things I'm mentioning now because they are linked to what we find next here in Luke 4. When we are told that by the power of the Spirit, Jesus is driven into the wilderness, into a desert place. And it's there in the desert that his identity as the Son of God is being tested, is being called into question. I'm going to read through this whole passage once, and then I want to make a few observations in the time we have left. Luke 4, says 1 through 14. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. 
The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil led him to Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news spread about him through the whole countryside. If you're like me, when March or February, late February rolls around, you scratch your head and you ask yourself once again, what is this Lenten season all about again anyway? Right? What, what are these 40 days for? What am I supposed to be doing in this time? Why does the church have this, this part of the calendar? Well, the church historically has reflected on this passage or, or passages like it in the other Gospels uh, about Jesus' testing in the, in the wilderness. And if what we see with Jesus here is in any indication, Lent then is a time where our identity as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, is being refined, it's being tested. If you look at the passage we've just read through, in verse 3 and then again in verse 9, the devil directly challenges Jesus on this point. He says, if, if you are the Son of God, which Jesus has just heard the chapter before in the waters of the Jordan, if indeed you are the Son of God, then why don't you prove it? Show me, show me some evidence here. Instead, these 40 days, Jesus finds himself empty-handed in the desert. He doesn't have signs. He doesn't have stuff to show or to demonstrate his sonship. Jesus goes into the desert carrying only the clothes on his back and the spirit that has filled and anointed and led him. And so the devil presents to Jesus three tests, three temptations. 
And this morning, we're going to look only briefly at all three of these. And we're going we're gonna to pick these up in successive weeks and look at each one a little more carefully. But today, I want you to think about these, these tests in some way are unique to Jesus in the call that he has, his anointing as the Messiah. But I think there may also be a sense in which we may be encountering the same sort of testing and trying ourselves. I want you to to consider whether you may be undergoing a test like one of these three. The first temptation is introduced in verse 2. And we're told that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to spend 40 days there without food. And of course, nearing the end of those 40 days, the scriptures say Jesus became hungry. It's then that the devil commences with his first test in that time of hunger. And I think the test goes something like this. He asks Jesus, why in the world would the Spirit of God, who loves you, who calls you the Son, the beloved Son, why would it lead you to a place of hunger, Jesus? Why in the world would God send you into a place of scarcity, doesn't sound like the goodness of God, Jesus. And if if God has led you here and has, has caused you to stay here for 40 days and hasn't given you something to eat yet, Jesus, well, maybe that's an indication that you need to do something for yourself. Start supplying your own bread. Verse 3, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, why don't you pick up some of these stones? Why don't you begin to to work and to change them into bread for yourself? I doubt any of us have been hungry for 40 days in the way Jesus is here. But we may have known bills to pay. We know stressors that accumulate. We may have work that has fallen through. We may have an accumulation of unmet needs in our lives. And as we go deeper into those those places of wilderness, we may begin to wonder. We struggle to see how it is that the Spirit of God could be leading us. How could it be that we are sons and daughters God cares for? And instead, we may become anxious to supply these things for ourselves. We begin to assume that we need to find stones and somehow turn them into bread. I think it's interesting that a number of the tests here seem to have a corollary in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says when he teaches the disciples later in the Gospel how to pray. We get the sense that Jesus prays this way every day, every moment. Jesus is rehearsing these things to himself. And we know that Jesus says whenever he prays, he asks the Father to give him his daily bread, to provide it as a gift, as a sign of his care. And that prayer sustains Jesus, even in the wilderness here, to say that he is sustained by that promise He is sustained even by more than bread alone. 
I wonder if some of us today are carrying this, this burden of anticipating and providing for unmet needs that we sense. And, and if that is one that we carry with us. And a question I would ask is, if you sense that anxiety, if you sense that's something you carry with you today, is it helping you to stay close to Jesus? What could we do with that? Second temptation is introduced in verse 5. The devil moves on to a different strategy. Instead of inciting Jesus to make his own bread, the devil offers to give him the kingdoms of the world. And in in vivid color, it says in an instant, Jesus can, can perceive their splendor and their power. And the devil says, it will all be yours, Jesus, if you worship me. I wonder, as we hear the devil's offer here, if we ever ask ourselves quietly, why doesn't God have kingdoms like this one? Why doesn't God have these things to offer us? Why is it that Jesus lives in fishing villages and in desert places instead of a palace? How come Christians don't have a greater kingdom, a greater, greater sense of, of power? How come the church isn't a little more glamorous or impressive or empowering? Don't the children of God deserve to have a kingdom of their own, in their own right? And yet Jesus remains in the wilderness, again, without bread and without a crown. But he is armed with a prayer. Jesus prays not to possess the kingdoms of this world, but how does he pray? Right? Father, your kingdom come to the earth. He holds on to that promise. That is his great desire. The kingdom of heaven to invade earth. What aspirations are we carrying with us as we follow Jesus? What kinds of kingdoms are we desiring? My question would be, are they the same kingdom Jesus waits for? Are we willing to wait with him for the Father to bring heaven to earth? The third and final temptation here begins in verse 9. And seeing that Jesus trusts the Father to give him his bread, seeing that Jesus trusts the Father to one day deliver a heavenly kingdom to him, the devil hits upon one third place that he hopes to find weakness. It's interesting, he takes Jesus to Jerusalem. He takes him and exalts him to the highest place of the temple, overseeing everything there place of God's presence and power and worship. And he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down from here. And prove to everyone that as God's favored son, he will surely rescue you. That 
The devil here inverts right, the, the strategy of Jesus. He even quotes scripture. He takes a psalm and he, and he says, Surely, Jesus, if your life is imperiled, the Father will send every angel in heaven to make it stop. Jesus, prove to everyone that the Son of God is immune to danger. Isn't that what God has promised his sons and his daughters? But there's something in the devil's logic here that Jesus resists. Jesus says that the gracious, redeeming, rescuing power of God isn't ours to command. It's not something we get to manipulate. We can't put it to the test. Sometimes God will choose to abolish our suffering like that. He can heal things. He can silence things. He can transform things. But there are other times where pain comes far closer, deep into our lives, into our families, in ways that do not seem fair, do not seem just, do not seem right. And I think our great temptation in those moments is to assume that our suffering says something about our identity as God's son or daughter. When we suffer, Satan can use the sting of that suffering to call into question God's goodness toward us. God's love for his children. Maybe some of you are carrying with you not just that suffering, but, but the doubts and the fears and the anxieties that go with it. Wondering whether it will stop. Wondering whether God's love is in fact still there. Wondering when the night will break and when the sunrise will show itself again. Let me remind myself and remind us together of one of the great mysteries of the gospel of Jesus. In this passage... We see two things. Jesus is the prize. He is the beloved. He is the the son in whom God takes greatest delight. There is no question that Jesus is God's beloved son. Right? And yet, Jesus insists here that he will not be invulnerable. He will not be invincible to pain and to sorrow and to the sting of death itself. And we even see that that the same spirit that anoints Jesus in his baptism as a son leads him into a desert place. And that same spirit will lead Jesus to Jerusalem again in a few years' time. And Jesus will follow that spirit of God freely into the shadows of the cross. The cross is this crucible of suffering, but it is, it is the one place where Jesus demonstrates for us God's love for his children, par excellence. The Son of God will suffer to make us sons and daughters. Right, this is 
a mystery to us. Just close by returning to that thought. What is it that is essential to us in this season? What is essential to carry with us on the road of discipleship? Jesus leaves the desert. Jesus enters the desert empty-handed. Jesus leaves the desert empty-handed. He is hungry. He leaves the desert without any sign of a kingdom. Jesus leaves prepared to suffer even more greatly on the road ahead. But verse 14 tells us that as he leaves that time of testing, he returns to Galilee full of the Spirit's power. Obedient to the mission the Father has for him. What is it that you might be carrying with you today? What is it that Jesus might be inviting you to leave behind so that you might instead receive his power, receive the filling, receive the consolation of his spirit so that you would know with greater certainty that you are his beloved son, you are his beloved daughter. Let me pray for us. Jesus, none of us desire testing. You even teach us to pray, not to be led into testing and temptation, but to trust in your ability to deliver us from the evil one. But Lord, you you permit difficult things. And there is a mystery to that. But you encourage us to return to our identity as the children of God. As the ones you have chosen, the ones you have rescued, the ones you have redeemed at great cost to yourself. Lord, may we journey forward with you, deeper into our identity as the people in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.